It is a very hot day today, and I get a little nervous sometimes public speaking, so I might sweat a little bit while I'm speaking. Uh, I remember the first sermon I ever gave here. Um, you know, I only led youth group prior to that, and uh, one of my kids was sitting in the pew, and I was sweating so much that he kept going like this for me to signal. He's like, you're sweating. So, um, but Lord willing, I don't sweat too, too much. Um, so um, we're, we're going to actually open our Bibles up to Proverbs today, and I'm going to talk about uh, wisdom and what it looks like for specifically to new hope. And um, the reason I want to talk about wisdom is because uh, w- wisdom is foundational for everyone, uh, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, but it is especially important for Christians because without wisdom, we actually, everything we do for the Lord will be in vain, actually. Without wisdom, anything we attempt won't be accomplished. So it's important to know what wisdom is, uh, what a wise person looks like, and how do we get wisdom as Christians. So we're going to open our Bibles to Proverbs. Now, you can go to Proverbs 1, but I'm going to be jumping, up, jumping around the place in Proverbs, so just be prepared to flip through your Bibles as I give these scriptures. It will also be up in the screen, so living wisely. So here, here are my three points. What is wisdom? What does a wise person look like? And how do we get wisdom? So number one, what is wisdom? Wisdom is insight, foresight, and knowledgeableness. And I I actually am very helped by one of my professors uh, from seminary named uh, Dr. Tim Keller, who um, actually has a Proverbs devotional, which I brought along with me, um, which has been really helpful for my Christian life, and I hope you can get it too. So what is wisdom? Insight, foresight, knowledgeableness. So first, insight. Wisdom is the ability to see small distinctions and shades of differences where others see a blur. And so Proverbs 1-2 says this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. It's insight. So, for example, um, you know, my my wife is very wise, so I can give a lot of examples. (laughs) Um, But the, the, the place that I think about when I think about distinctions is, uh, I don't know if you guys have been here, but Bath and Body Works. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so my wife, when I walk into Bath and Body Works, it just smells like a blur to me. It just, my wife's like, what does this candle smell like? And I'm like, every other candle in this store. <laughs> but my wife can tell the differences between a light blue candle and a dark blue candle. And similarly, biblical wisdom is very similar, except... It's about discernment or insight into daily life, the ability to not see issues just black and white, but actually to notice small differences. And for the Christian, it's really important because wisdom can tell us the differences between good, better, and best. So number one is insight. Number two is foresight. What is foresight? Foresight is the ability to see what kinds of behaviors will lead to a result or the ability to plan and live strategically. So Proverbs 22, verse 3 says this, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Wisdom is not only knowing, 
is not only knowing what to do, but when to do it. If you do what you're supposed to do first as the fifth step, you're going to fail. If you do what's the fourth step as the second step, you'll fail. The right thing done at the wrong time is the wrong thing. In other words, wisdom can see actually what steps do we need to take in order for this plan to succeed and can actually discern those steps to, to be taken. Um, you know, foresight can come in various forms. It can come in strategy, but it can come also in conversation and speech. And so um, my youth know this story very well, but um, when me and Brittany were dating, I took her uh, at our anniversary trip, first anniversary, we went to a steakhouse in Manhattan, and I treated her out very well. <laughs> it pretty much emptied my pockets. <laughs> but... I told her she can order whatever she wants from the menu. And she ended up ordering, like, probably the cheapest thing on the menu. <laughs> and I ordered the, cheap, the most expensive thing, because <laughs> so I emptied my own pockets out. But I remember going home that day and thinking how wonderful of an experience that date was, that I was like, this, this is the woman I want to marry. The experience was amazing. I've had a great year with her. It was a good time of reflection. And so... I called Brittany up, and I said, I think yesterday was actually the best day of my life. And she blushed. She said, oh, you know, why, why was it the best day? Now, this is the wrong answer, by the way. I'm going to give you the wrong answer, boys. <laughs> I said, the steak. Well, first of all, the steak was so juicy. <laughs> Which, you know, Brittany ended up being a little upset at me for that. But wisdom would have known, oh, you know, you have to have foresight. I should say, Brittany was the best thing. She was my, you know, the reason why it was so great. And then I should have said the steak, but I switched it. Lack of foresight. And lastly, wisdom is also knowledgeableness. Now, I think most people here will understand that uh, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Um, you know, we all know uh, a very... Uh, you, you, you know, you can come up with an imaginary professor who has, like, studied, for example, um, pastoral theology his whole life. But if he has never stepped foot as a, as a pastor of a church, he won't have practical wisdom of how to live it out. See, wisdom and knowledge are, are different, but you can't get wisdom without knowledge. And so Proverbs 1.5 says this, Let the wise hear. The wise, they're hearing. An increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Proverbs calls us to add to our learning. And so wisdom is insight, foresight, knowledgeableness. And I could go on more about what wisdom is, um, but we should know about uh, uh, those three things. We should know, apply them to four things in our life. Number one is we need to know God's word, right? Amen. That's why we spend time in God's word. But number two is we have to actually know our own hearts. And if we don't actually understand how to apply God's Word to our own hearts or what's going on with our, with our hearts, we're actually not going to be wise. And the third thing is to know and apply to relationships. And the last thing is times and seasons. So I, I won't go more into that, but um, it's important that we just don't read the Bible as a theoretical book, but that as we're reading it, we're understanding that this is where God meets us and is teaching us not only about Him, but ourselves. 
So this is what wisdom is, which brings me to point number two. What does a wise person look like? What does a wise person look like? Now, um, a lot of my points are very specific to New Hope, and I hope that um, many people here can apply it to their own lives. So, so five things that a wise person looks like. Number one, a wise person knows that their character matters more than their gifts. That their character matters more than their gifts. Too many people in ministry, including myself, often mistake the grace of gifts as a sign of God's approval over the grace of character. Too many people mistake the grace of gifts over the grace of character. Proverbs 10.9 says this, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Your character, your character matters, New Hope. It's not really about um, what community group you're serving or what capacity you're serving it at, but it's about your character. Is it being developed? That is the sure and confident sign that God is working in your life, which means that those who are not in leadership and sometimes maybe, you know, just serving day-to-day, coming to church, being faithful, raising their children, but not in leadership, can sometimes be the most godly people. And they can be the people who, who God the Holy Spirit is actually working in. And so your, our character matters. It should be so compelling that people will want to follow us, that people will want to hear the gospel from us. And I know Jonathan has talked about this in the previous weeks. But I think a good barometer for testing our character is probably the fruit of the Holy Spirit found in Galatians 5. So love and joy, for example. Are we known as a people who are joyful? Peace and patience. Are we patient with those around us, including our spouse and our kids? Kindness and goodness. When you speak of other people at church, do you find yourself talking about them in a kind way? Or do you slander their names? Faithfulness. Are we bold to uh, are we are, are we bold when the opportunity comes to share the gospel? Do we first and foremost represent ourselves as Christians before we say we do XYZ in the workforce? And lastly, gentleness and self-control. How willing are we to take criticism from our spouse, from others? Every one of us, now I just want us to know that every one of us has a temperament. Everyone has a temperament. Most of us are either temperamentally bold, direct. I think New Yorkers are very bold and direct. (laughs) They'll tell you what they want. And they might be swearing at you too while they want it. (laughs) Others of us are very gentle, calm, and deferential. But to be a wise person needs to be both. It means to be both direct and gentle, to be both bold and calm, to be both caring and yet sovereignly trusting the Lord, what He's going to do for us in our lives, in our children's lives, and so on and so forth. So, number one is a wise person knows their character matters more than their gifts. Number two, a wise person knows that their words have power and chooses them carefully. Chooses them carefully. 
Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 12.25, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 16.24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. In a world where people carelessly spend their words and have harsh remarks, Christians must know that their words can be either life-giving or life-draining, and we must choose our words wisely. We cannot say with the culture that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. No, if, you have, if you've been living life for a certain amount of time, you know that words can be the most hurtful thing that you can use towards someone, especially when it comes from a close friend and it's hurtful. But at the same time, Christians are not called to, um, we would say, use flattery. You know, uh, flattery is kind of like an oversized compliment towards someone. You know, oftentimes I'll say this. if, If someone encourages me and they use flattery, they use these big words, I usually just... I'm like, this is not true. This is, this is just overblown. But when someone is very specific and using a specific example and encouraging me in a small and gentle way, I actually find great encouragement from it. So Christians are not called to flatter, but we're called to speak the truth in love, which means also that truth should never be used as a weapon. Um, you know, how many Christians can we see, whether it's on the news or on social media or the broader culture, where we see them using truth as a weapon to fight for what they believe in? Now, I think there's, you know, uh, common grace means of us debating and stuff, but if we're using truth to win an argument, to punish or pay back or embarrass other people, to undermine something true that a person is saying but they don't want to hear, or to defend our pride, or to complain, or to make ourselves even look good to others. All these ways are unloving. Speaking kind words is not always about saying what people want to hear, but it is telling people, uh, you know, it is telling people the truth in love. And so, um, you know, I, I'll give you a, all right, I'm getting a little sweaty here. You know, I'll tell you, um, uh, illustration is uh, my, my uh, this is very embarrassing because the kids are up here today, <laughs> so do not follow Param's uh, example here. But when I was a f- in uh, fifth grade, um, a kid threw a basketball in my face, and I remember getting so mad that I came up to the kid and I, you know, I smacked him, and I got out of school suspension. And the first thing that came to my mind was, like, my dad is going to kill me. He is going to, he's going to punish me. You know, whether um, that was, like, being grounded or whatnot. And I rode my bike home early that day because the teachers let me go, and my dad said he can ride his bike home. And I remember the first thing that when I came back and I came inside the house, my dad told me to go to my room and spend some time there. And then he called me out. And instead of punishing me, instead of beating me down when he could have, he actually just asked questions. 
And I explained to him why, what, what happened. And I think his grace towards me at that time, his words to me were, as Proverbs say, like a honeycomb. They were sweetness to my soul. That the anxiety that I had and the grace that I was shown through his words actually changed me. I was like, there's, there is not actually a good point for me to retaliate. Like, my, my, my dad was right. And um, I think that's a small microcosm, actually, of what the gospel does for us as Christians. Because in the gospel, we have a Savior who, instead of punishing us for us, our sins, removes our sins, like Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. He does not deal with us according to our iniquities. He is kind and gracious to us. Yes, he, he might discipline us, but it's never out of spite. It's always out of love and grace. And so Christians, too, are meant to use their words graciously and kind. So that's number two. Number three, a wise person is not lazy and invest their times, their time, talents, and resources in God-honoring ways. Proverbs 10.4 says this, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, I think, um, you know, I, I think the thing about Proverbs is, um, Proverbs is a little bit different from the rest of the Bible because Oftentimes in God's word, there is a promise given to God's people, and this fulfillment of this promise is sure to come. But Proverbs is a little bit different because it gives us, we would say, common grace insights through God's revealed word. Common grace insights, meaning this rule generally applies to most people, whether they're believers or non-believers. And Scripture says that the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, for the Christian, what this really means is really investing our time, I'm going to say, in eternal things, in kingdom-building purpose uh, uh, things. And and I think a a great example of this is in Jesus, that Jesus gives in Matthew 25, where he talks about three stewards that actually receive a talent each. So one receives one, the second one receives two, and the third receives five well, the, actually, let, let me restate that. The first gets five, the second gets two, the third gets one. Well, the first guy who gets five talents doubles his investment, Jesus says, by trading it. The second guy who got two talents also made two, two more, so he doubles it as well. But the third guy, who received only one, digs it up and hides his talent in the ground. And Jesus Jesus' reply of what the master says to the stewards is really interesting. It says, when the master returned, the steward said to the master, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And the master replies to the servant, or steward, saying, You wicked and slothful servant you wicked and slothful servant. The lesson is that oftentimes our fear of man or our indecisiveness to invest our talent in the right places is a sign of spiritual laziness, and the Lord will condemn it. Now, um, 
I will say this, that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation eternally. But there is a way that you can become a Christian and still be unwise in your Christian life by not investing your talents where they're, where they're supposed to go. And, um, you know, I, I will tell you that the two ministries that I have in mind right now is kids' ministry and youth group, that those two ministries are really important for building up future leaders and also future believers in Christ. Someone's signaling that I'm sweating, so I got to... <laughs> so the point is, we need, a wise person is not lazy, but invests their times and talents and resources in God-honoring ways, whether that's tithing, spending time teaching, or just volunteering for the youth group. That, that's a great way for a wise person uh, to live. So number four, we're almost at the end here. Number four, a wise person doesn't make big, deci- big decisions with their gut and gets a lot of advice. So Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, verse 22 says this, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Um, You can apply this in your own life, whether it's a ministry project, a church, or a small group, a job, a spouse, a, a potential spouse. All these things require great wisdom. And the Bible actually condemns those who think they are wise in their own eyes, right? The book of Judges is about this, is that uh, during that time, people did what was right in their own eyes. And because of it, the culture really uh, deteriorated and failed. But a wise person doesn't actually deem what they think is right always. They actually go out and seek advice from others. And so um, I know my youth group kids are in here, so if you are making a big decision, you know, whether it's college or someone to date, it's always wise to actually ask other Christians around you for advice on what to do. Number five, a wise person is intentional about having deep friendships. So Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says this, Two are better than one, and the rest of the verse is this, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Sometimes friendship can either make us or break us. And true friendship actually is very important for the wise person. Not only because do we have other voices to speak into our lives, but also we have the ability to share what's on our heart with others. Um, you know, this, this, may, this may be a little bit irrelevant, but I, 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 um, I actually see this woman outside Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, I get Dunkin' Donuts every day. Pretty ashamed to say that, but, <laughs> but I do get Dunkin' Donuts every day. I get a cold brew, and um, I'm a valued member of Dunkin' Donuts family. <laughs> but uh, there's a woman who's uh, outside of Dunkin' Donuts, and she's always asking for just one thing out of the menu. And, um, you know, I often actually do get it for her. But I think actually what, what she's lacking really, and, and as soon as I even just buy avocado toast, is she's not looking for the avocado toast. She's actually looking for someone to talk to. 
And I think that's actually the, 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 the thing that most people who are struggling mentally or who are homeless really want, is they want someone who they can talk to, who they can listen to. And so true friendship allows us to be real with others and also allows us to confess sin. So, and, and this is my last one, actually. A wise person seeks to understand the idols of their hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In the Old Testament, idols were often physical replicas that people would worship. But actually, if we look at the language of idolatry applied to, on a deeper level, what's happening is people are valuing something more outside of God. And that's what real idolatry is, valuing something outside God more than Him. So they, people worship money, people worship power, success, you know, tangible things, people, relationships, maybe even self-image. And oftentimes, these idols can actually be reasons why our growth in the Christian life is stunned. Actually, we haven't really recognized what's holding us back, that there's this thing that is actually clawing at our hearts and, and, and making us actually self-justifying. And so, um, oftentimes, this is very subtle, but idols can be the need for approval, the, the desire for control, the desire for power, um, things such as these could be idols in our lives. And I think a Christian, you know, our culture actually doesn't really know how to do this well, but a Christian is called to self-examine themselves. Now, we can do that in an unhealthy way, but if we actually are never alone, if we are never actually examining our hearts, the idols of our hearts, what's happening we will actually never understand what's blocking our growth in God. And so, to identify your idols, that's what a wise person does. Okay, so this is my last point. How do, how do we get it? How do we get it? And I only have really one main point here, but sub-points. <laughs> um, we get it through the gospel. As Christians, we get wisdom through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel, Actually, wisdom in, in all of Proverbs, it, there's a tension because wisdom sometimes seems like this abstract thing that we have to pursue. But then in other times, wisdom seems like a person. Um, so, for example, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 8, 22 says this, the Lord, this is wisdom speaking, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first act of his, of his acts of old, Ages ago, I was set up, at first, before the beginning of the earth. It sounds like a person, actually. And later on, this is what wisdom says. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made from the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so the waters might transgress its command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. See, in Proverbs, actually, it's not only this theoretical thing, but actually a person. And wisdom is actually, a, a, you know, wisdom is a person. Who is that person? 
It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is personified wisdom that created the world. And it's finally revealed to us as Jesus, the Word of God, with whom God created the world. We know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and we know that through the Word, through wisdom, God builds and creates the earth. And so how do we get true wisdom? We actually, we actually get it from this person. And more, more even, we're united to Him by faith. Um, you know, Jesus' earthly ministry, um, we, we can get wisdom in many ways from Jesus' life. Jesus actually says in Luke 2.40 that Jesus dazzled His listeners with His wisdom. Jesus is the only one with the perfect temperament that He shows boldness without harshness. He shows humility without uncertainty. He speaks truth, but always out of love. Jesus fulfills all the commands I've just given. He knows character matters more than gifts. He even knows it when Judas is serving along with him, and he's giving life lessons. Jesus knows his words had power and chose them carefully. If you think about Mary and Martha and their dead brother Lazarus, the way that the Lord Jesus counsels both women, first, you know, with the first woman, he actually says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He is counseling her through the means of her mind. But with the second sister, he doesn't even say a word. What does the text say? It actually says that Jesus wept. He is, what Isaiah says, the perfect counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. Jesus perfectly invests his time, talents, and resources to accomplish God's will. Jesus never did anything according to his own accord, but obeyed the voice of his Father. Jesus was intentional about building small and deep, sorry, deep relationships, friendships with his disciples. Jesus even understood the idols of man's heart. And Paul would says, says this, that he now, through the gospel, Jesus has become to us wisdom from God, the one in whom God's wisdom is hidden, so that in Christ we can actually know what true wisdom looks like. Without, um, you know, again, what I say, without wisdom, we'll, we'll all fail. We'll all fail. Everything we do in the Lord will be in vain. But with wisdom, meaning with Jesus, everything we do in the Lord will never be in, will never be in vain, actually. That what we do does have a purpose, that it does have a reason, that there's a reason for the season. <laughs> you know, ultimately, we see God's wisdom through Christ's death and resurrection, that this is the word who, this is the wisdom who created the world, who steps foot on on earth and lives the perfect life and dies the death that we should have died and rises again. He does this so that we, who deserve God's judgment, who deserves God's wrath, He does it because He loves us. And on the cross, He does exchange our place for His so that we would be treated with His that He should have been treated like. He treats us like we are wise, that we are righteous, that we are holy, and that through faith, um, we, we really look to Him who is our true wisdom. So, this is the, uh, the riches of God's wisdom to us, available to us through Christ. And praise the one who came as a baby and who will come again in strength and power. So, this is what wisdom is. This is what wisdom is. This is what wisdom looks like. And this is how we get wisdom. It is through the Lord Jesus. So, let me pray for us.
Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who is wisdom personified, that he lived the perfect life that we should have lived, that he lived the, the perfectly wise life that we should have lived. And now through him, we are actually becoming wise, that as we spend time with him, whether it's in our quiet time or whether it's just through our union with him, our constant union with him, we are spending time with someone who is ultimately wisdom himself. And so we are becoming wise. But Lord, we ask now that you would grant us to become um, even more wise than we were before. And uh, you would, you would um, impart to us an extra dose of your Holy Spirit that does make us temperamentally different from where we originally were. We pray that you would give us boldness with gentleness, humility with confidence, and love while we speak the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.